Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, hope your Tuesday's going well. Big news this afternoon. It's one of the things that we're tracking. This is the three. At three on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, Greg, let's start with that breaking news involving the Bucks. Yeah, Adrian Griffin out after 43 games. He was hired to replace Mike Budenholzer. Bucks are 30 and 13. Despite that, Griffin is out of a job, one of the shortest tenures for any NBA coach in league history. Yeah, he's in the top five. And this doesn't happen very often. You're coaching a team that's 30 and 13, second best record in the league on two game winning streak, and you come home and find out that you've lost your job. Probably behind this, the Bucks average 124 points a game. That is the most in the league. They give up 120.5. That is the sixth most in the league. Just not good enough. I want to know if Giannis was asked about this decision or if Giannis was told this is the decision. You know they communicated with Giannis, but how did that go down? Giannis did endorse Griffin when Griffin was hired. So you say it's almost unprecedented. Here's the most recent example. The Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016, yep. LeBron James, mega superstar, David Blatt is their head coach. They're 30-11, and 11, almost eight years ago to the day, John. January 21st, 2016, Blatt was fired and replaced by Tyron Lue. They would ultimately go on to win a championship. At that time, the general manager for the Cavaliers, whose last name was Griffin, by the way, it's kind of an interesting nugget, Talked about the collective spirit being subpar, the strength of spirit being subpar. The team wasn't galvanized even after wins. If you've watched the Bucks play, you see him pulling up a lot of points, and you see a team that can't figure it out on defense and at times looks disinterested. I'm wondering if some of those same sentiments apply in this situation. I mean, the Detroit game last night. I watched the first half of that game, and Detroit scored at will at points, especially in the first quarter. It was not a good defensive effort against maybe the worst team in the league. They were lucky to be at Detroit both occasions yeah. here in the last several yeah, days. They barely did it. And they trailed by 47 in a game last week. That's unbelievable. All right, much more on this as we head through the afternoon. Justin Garcia will be with us during the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up here in only about 20 minutes, we'll take your phone calls and your texts. Do you like this decision? What do you think of this decision? 855-616-1620. Shoot us a text. We'll also work in some phone calls a little bit later on. All right, what else are we tracking? Class in session today, John and Racine, but a tough start to the school day. Icy conditions, delayed buses, some buses that just stopped, but school kept on keeping on. Lots of headaches for parents. Wyatt barmore pooley has been tracking this story and has spoken to some of those parents. Yeah, John, you want some crazy numbers. Racine Unified's Facebook posts 713 comments right wow. now. Uh, parents are not happy. I was able to speak to one of them, Brianna LaLuce, and she had a four-year-old who she would take herself and a 13-year-old who was on the bus minutes away from school when they turned around. Racine Unified saying uh, in an updated uh, version of their Facebook post that first student, the bus company, uh, had... The cha- was dealing with the challenging road conditions and then had drivers who couldn't complete their routes. But Luz says there was a really big problem here. For the busing company and the school system to be on the same page, I wouldn't think that that would be too much to ask. I almost assumed that that was a given. When she called the school, they had no idea about the bus shortage. <laughs> That's very frustrating as a parent. Yeah, uh, Racine Unified acknowledging that in their post, saying they're working on those communication issues, but it was it was widespread in those comments that this not only was tough because of the logistics of getting everybody back to where they should be, but because the it looks like the school district didn't even know what was going on. Wyatt Barmore Pooley, thank you, Wyatt. What else are we tracking, Greg? Yeah, finally, John Israel has offered Hamas a two-month ceasefire as part of a prospective deal. That would free more than 100 hostages currently being held in Gaza, this according to Axios. Israel is quick to point out that they do not know how many of those hostages are still alive, but intense pressure in Israel for their government to work once again to get hostages released. The broader agreement would be this. 100 hostages in Gaza released back to Israel, two-month ceasefire, and in exchange, safe passage out of Gaza for top Hamas leaders who orchestrated the October 7th attacks. Hamas has not responded to this. We will keep our eye on this story as well. That is the 3 at 3 for your Tuesday. Major Garrett, CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent, up next. Much more on the Adrian Griffin firing coming up after the news at the bottom of the hour. We'll take your phone calls and work in some texts. But first, the big national story today, 
is that voters are at the polls in New Hampshire. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. His awesome podcast, this is great work, his Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. You should check that out. His book is The Big Truth. Major, good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. How are you? I'm good. Is this must, I'm not going to say when, is this must have a good showing for Haley tonight? So her her campaign has already said she's off to South Carolina, that they've raised enough money for a $4 million ad buy in South Carolina, which is the kind of things you have to say if you are bracing for a somewhat distant second-place finish here in New Hampshire. So they are positioned to go to South Carolina. That primary will be later in February. So there's about a four-and-a-half, five-week gap between here and there. And that's going to be a slog for Nikki Haley. Uh, Everyone here in New Hampshire is trying to calibrate what her expectations are and what a credible second-place finish here would be. Because everyone is acknowledging, even her campaign internally, that second place is likely where she's going to end up. So is it single digits? Is it outside? Is it low double digits? The Trump campaign is really trying to run up the score, very much trying to run up the score. Trump has been at polling places today. He's at surrogates all over the state. They are making a big push to win by 12, maybe 16. If they attain from their perspective, a margin that large, it will be very, very hard for Haley to continue to compete in the five weeks between now and South Carolina, and more importantly, on through Super Tuesday. Major, what's the value in staying in the race? What's the value in finishing a distant second for Nikki Haley? A couple of things. Uh, One is she has said from the very beginning her goal was to make this a race between her and former President Trump. And she doesn't want to quit the race after just one contest here in New Hampshire, where it was clearly, in the closing days, a two-person race. She wants to test that out. And that's not unreasonable. The other reason for her to stay in the race is the uncertainty that circulates around former President Trump's legal status. I mean, there are one thing people, I think, are not absorbing is political success does not immunize you from criminal prosecution or civil liability. It just doesn't. Former President Trump would like us to think it does, or it ought to mean something, but in the court of law, it doesn't. Those things are still hanging out there. So if Nikki Haley says, I'm going to stay in this race, not only because I want to go toe-to-toe with Trump again and again and again and see how it plays out, but also, we don't know what's going to happen with him in three or four months and these other legal issues, so I better stay around. So there are two strategic reasons for her to do it. The one problem in that is going to be if you keep losing and you keep losing by a lot will you have the money to keep going and that's an unknown but it's a question she's got to come up with an answer to major garrett is with us on wtmj so ron DeSantis gets the best of nikki haley in iowa and then many are surprised by the timing he drops out before new hampshire he was polling really bad where did those voters go where are the DeSantis voters uh they according to internal polling that i've seen break about 60-40 for Trump. And probably of those 60-40, the ones that were DeSantis then now going to Trump are probably going to show up because they like that either original MAGA agenda or the new newer MAGA agenda as personified by Ron DeSantis. So they're likely to show up. The ones that were heading toward Haley, they may or may not. One of the problems for Nikki Haley here in New Hampshire is the discernible lack of excitement. Hers coalition... John and Greg is entirely anti-Trump. It's very little pro Nikki Haley. She hasn't lit a fire, a personal one about her candidacy, her vision. Many of her ads and much of her stump speech is about generational this and change that. And wouldn't it be better if, and are you displeased with your choices? Not like, here's who I am. Here's where I've been in my life. Here's what I'm going to do for you. And here's why I'm running for you. She still hasn't personalized this race. And I think it's one of the things that is holding her back. Major, is it out of the question to think Nikki Haley could end up being Donald Trump's running mate? Or is there any clarity on which direction Trump might go if indeed he does go on and win, which it appears he will? Uh, The answer to the first question is yes, it's possible. He talks about her with some frequency in that context. He talks about a lot of people in that context, I should add. Matter of fact, when he was announcing to his supporters here over the weekend that DeSantis had dropped out and endorsed him, Trump was very magnanimous, very generous at the podium. I'm told privately he was even more enthusiastic about DeSantis instead of talking about him and someone maybe they should consider as a running mate. 
because he was gener- he was a newer generation of MAGA, but he was definitely on board. He'd be a great attack dog. He wouldn't take any uh, static from the media. He'd be someone he could might. So he was talking in that kind of way. Now, that m- might just be a momentary thought bubble of the former president. He has many of them. Or it could be something he might give serious consideration to. But if Haley sticks in and shows her moxie and shows that she can, in state after state, build either a pro-Nikki Haley or an anti-Trump coalition, and Trump sees that and says, you know what, I may need those voters. I may need those lightly attached Republicans or independents, and Haley can find them for me. He might give her serious consideration. I know he's already talked about her in somewhat serious ways. Major, so Ramaswamy gets out and endorses Trump. No surprise. DeSantis gets out and endorses Trump. Chris Christie is heard on an open microphone appearing to say that Nikki Haley is going to get her clock cleaned. How damaging is all that to Nikki Haley as she moves forward? Well, the, one, the other thing that Nikki Haley has to deal with is the consolidation around Trump. And she's, in the last day or two here, tried to frame that as, well, I'm not establishment. I'm anti-establishment. The establishment is getting all, all the politicians are getting around Trump. Look, it's about all that she can do. I mean, it's, she, trust me, she would love to have some of the endorsements. She would have loved to have the endorsement, for example, of Marco Rubio, whom she famously endorsed in the South Carolina primary in 2016. Was that favor returned? No. Right before the Iowa caucuses, Rubio endorsed Trump. She would like to have more support. She certainly could have used it here in New Hampshire to have surrogates go to places where she can't get to. You can only do five or six events a day. She would have loved to have a battery of endorsed surrogates going around the state with the Nikki Haley message. She doesn't have that. She's hamstrung because of that. So the best thing you can make out of that is to say, well, they're all with the establishment. They're all with the political class. I've never been with the establishment. We'll have to see if that catches on. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent, the agent of betrayal, Double Life of Robert Hansen podcast is available anywhere you pick up your podcast. The Takeout podcast, by the way, which is always entertaining, is heard here on WTMJ. Major, thank you so much. We always appreciate it. Thank you, John. Thank you, Greg. It is 326 at WTMJ. The big local story, Adrian Griffin is fired by the Bucks. What do you think of the decision? Do you like it? Or are you like, they're 30 and 13. What are we doing? 855-616-1620. That's the... WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Give us a call. Shoot us a text. What do you think about the decision today? 855-616-1620. Time for the WTMJ Annex Wealth Management Market Update. A Kind of a slog today and a mixed bag. The S&P 500 closed up 14 points. The NASDAQ closed up 66. It's a pretty good gain for the NASDAQ. The Dow was down 96 points to close at 37,905. Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. Breaking news this afternoon is that first-year head coach Adrian Griffin has been fired by the Milwaukee Bucks. News broke about an hour and 15 minutes ago, about 45 minutes ago, the Bucks confirmed it, that Adrian Griffin is out. The first-year coach after 43 games has been fired, dismissed. 43 games into his tenure, his first year as head coach, he was hired to replace Mike Budenholzer, and he is now out. It's an interesting deal. Because you look at the Bucs and they're 30 and 13. They're still one of the favorites to win the NBA championship, tied for the second best record in the league. They score a lot of points, more than anybody else in the league. But, Greg, they look disjointed. They look like they oftentimes don't have a clue on defense. And they've play, they played the easiest schedule literally in the NBA. The Bucs have played the easiest schedule in the NBA. And they've had these struggles. It's only going to get tougher from here. Uh, no, I agree with that. So they got their trip out west coming up, and they'll see a lot of Western Conference opponents in the second half of the season. This decision is not made lightly by General Manager John Horst. This is months of underwhelming play. It's strange to say that with a team that's thirty and thirteen and in the position they're in. But watch the Bucks and tell me everything looks right. It just doesn't. Like they're skating by. They're finding ways to beat the Pistons, which I mean, it's, it's an awful team. It's just a historically bad team. Twice the they almost years. didn't get it done against the Pistons recently. And about a week ago, they trailed by 47 at a loss. And about a week before that, they were down 36 at halftime to the Utah Jazz, right? There, there have been so many missteps along the way that their record really is is more born from the sheer talent they have on the roster. And they have a talented roster. 
And my gut feeling is that John Horst didn't see this getting any better, and he saw another early playoff exit. That's when real defense is played in the NBA. And the Bucks don't show any signs of being able to play real defense. Now, back in the late 80s, this was fun basketball, right? Scoring 140 a game. Well, now everybody's capable of scoring 140, and more so against the Bucks than against most teams. It's still fun. It's fun to watch Giannis get a triple-double last night against a terrible team. It's fun to watch Dame launch it from anywhere this side of half court, but the defense is terrible. Yeah, on, on a Tuesday night in January, that's great, but yeah. when you're in round two of the playoffs, or round one in late April, and not able to score at will, like you could during the regular season, and also not able to defend, then you've got a recipe for a first-round exit. So some interesting reporting here in The Athletic by our good friend Eric Name, because one of the names being linked to the Milwaukee Bucks right now is Doc Rivers. Of course, people do the world of dot connecting, and Doc Rivers famously started Marquette, is yep. name and numbers in the rafters at Pfizer Forum. And right? now he's a broadcaster for ESPN. Yes, so heavily involved, heavily connected to basketball, championship-winning coach, named one of the NBA's all-time top 15 head coaches also, people look at Doc Rivers and say, ah, there should be more titles given some yes. of the talent that he's had, yes. which I think is a fair argument. But Doc Rivers, and I didn't know this, has been on the down low working with the Bucks as a voice and a sounding board for Griffin. And this started after the NBA's in-season tournament in which the Bucks gave up you know, a million points and a loss to the Pacers. So this is being reported by The Athletic, that Doc is already connected to the team and sort of assisting Adrian Griffin, who lost one of his top assistants before the season even started in Terry Stotts and what was, and still is, kind of a mysterious departure for Stotts, who never truly understood his roles and responsibilities, and according to several reports, never saw eye-to-eye with Griffin. But that was an early blow, losing a guy with real NBA coaching experience and a former coach of the year. You brought up the in-season tournament. It's also been reported that it was during the in-season tournament that Bobby Portis had an argument with Griffin in the locker room, that he challenged Griffin in the locker room, and other players had to get between the two of them, that Portis didn't like the way the team was being coached, especially on the defensive end. That happened during that in-season tournament. I still don't understand the Stotts thing. So the reporting on the Stotts thing has been that things came to a blow when Griffin, off to the side, saw Stotts yucking it up with Giannis and Lillard. He was having a moment, and it was during practice, and that he was called out by Griffin yelling at him to join the coaching huddle and stop goofing around with the guys over there. Stotts was here in large part because of his tight relationship with Lillard to ease with that transition. Stotts then walked away. And just said, I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing this. Enough. Whether Griffin felt threatened by that or just you know, wasn't sure how to handle the situation, you lost a top assistant. I mean, a guy with yep. real coaching experience, and he can't tell me that wasn't a blow. But this is all about the disjointed nature of a team that's in first place in its division, second place in the Eastern Conference in terms of record, one of the best records in the league, but doesn't pass the eye test game to game. If you watch it, you have to put the record aside. You would not think the Bucks are a 30-win team at this point of the season if you just watched them play and knew nothing else about them. A couple of texts here. From the 262, I was wondering how long this was going to last. The team has been inconsistent this season. Losing by 40 is huge. I expect more of this team uh, from the 262. I'm not surprised by the coach being fired. It was clear he was being outcoached, especially defensively. I was very worried they finished with a fine record but would get destroyed in the playoffs. Uh, One opposing from the 414, what in the heck are we doing? Yes, the defense needed more work, but that's why you have assistant coaches to focus on those areas. He was a great coach for everybody. He was nice to see out there. I'm going to miss him. But then the next six texts after that, glad he's gone. Fantastic move. Should not have fired Bud. Didn't like him to begin with. Didn't look like he was energized. We want Bud back. And it goes on and on and on. I will say this. If Horst and the Bucks brass think that this doesn't pass the test, Good for them for doing it instead of saying, well, we're 30 and 13. Most people would love to be 30 and 13. Let's keep going. I mean, this is a team with championship aspirations. I just wish that the Green Bay Packers were as decisive as John Horst. Think about the paradox. You got John Horst with a team who's 30 and 13 on a two game winning streak, the second best record in the league. And he says, this isn't working. I'm getting rid of the guy. You head up the interstate to Green Bay, 
And you got a team up there where they say, well, we're deciding if Joe Barry comes back or not. We're not quite sure. A real contrast in how two organizations handle their business. John Horst correctly has recognized that the window to win a championship exists and stays open as long as Giannis is with the team. And the effort that I've seen on the floor cannot be up to Giannis's standards. And he's talked Can't about be. it in postgame. He has talked about it. And to me, that stems from coaching. Got a coach that has a real pulse on his players and is able to get the most out of the players. And Adrian Griffin, in my opinion, has not been able to do that since day one. More on this as we head through the afternoon. We'll share your opinions. Talk to some experts, including uh, Bucks broadcaster Justin Garcia during the 5 o'clock hour. Up next, have you heard about these? This is a major development in our community. Harm reduction vending machines. Why they make a difference. Why they're important. Dr. Ben Weston with us live after the break on WTMJ. We've talked about harm reduction vending machines how they've been in place in southeast Wisconsin at locations like medical clinics and places like that. Now there's the chance to expand that to other locations. Dr. Ben Weston is Milwaukee County's Chief Health Policy Advisor, and he is with us this afternoon. Dr. Weston, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to be here. Nice to talk to you, John. Okay, so these vending machines basically have things like fentanyl test strips. They have uh, Narcon Narcan, gun locks, naloxicone, that sort of thing. How effective have they been? Do we have any idea? Are people using these things? Yeah, it's a great question. So we put out 11 vending machines in the fall. uh, And since that time, the numbers are really staggering of how much of these supplies have gotten out in the community. So we're talking over 2,100 naloxone boxes, 2,500 fentanyl test strips, and over 1,200 gun locks have been taken from these vending machines and are being used in the community. That's fantastic. And now, you know, they've been by and large at places associated with the medical establishment. Wouldn't it make sense to have these things in hotel lobbies, in malls, in places where other people gather because you don't just have a medical incident in a medical facility? That's exactly right. So the first round, the applicants that we got were largely kind of what you might expect, health departments, fire departments, community centers, health clinics. But for this next round, what we'd really love to see are in places of businesses, just like you mentioned, gas stations, restaurants, hotels. We know that people, unfortunately, can overdose anywhere, and anyone can overdose. And it's not just for the folks who might overdose. It's also for the general public who might see this and want to act. You know, one example just a few weeks ago, We had an employee in Milwaukee County, Shanice Collins. She's an office assistant at the MLK Community Center. She used naloxone from these vending machines to save two lives from overdose uh, in that center. Dr. Weston, could places of business request this, or is there some sort of group that determines the best places for them to be located? They absolutely can request it. So we set up a website. It's harmreductionmke.org. And if you go to that website, you can see all sorts of information about these vending machines. But one of the things you can see if you scroll down is how to apply. And so any organization can apply for this. We certainly encourage businesses to apply. Uh, And then we look at it and we score these based on things like, are they in a location that is highly trafficked? Are they in a location where there's uh, a large amount of overdoses in the community? Uh, And unfortunately, that's a lot of areas of Milwaukee County. But we'd love to see places of business, especially that get a lot of foot traffic through applying for these vending machines. Dr. Weston, two questions about cost. Is there a cost for a business to host one of these machines? And if I'm at a location and I need one, is there a cost for me to dispense the Narcan, the gun lock, et cetera, from the machine? I can be quick with that. It's no and no, but I'll say more. So no, there's no cost to the organization for hosting these machines. They're managed by Milwaukee County. They're filled by Milwaukee County. They're restocked by Milwaukee County. They're tracked by Milwaukee County so we can understand who's using what out of these machines. And then for folks, it's, it's just like your typical vending machine. You don't have to put any money in. You push B6 and the naloxone drops out. You push E10 and the gun lock drops out. Uh, and so it's easy to access. It's also, I think, one of the most important things about these vending machines is that they're non-invasive. They're private. You don't have to have your business out there. You don't have to ask anybody for these supplies. You just go up, you push the button, you take the supplies, 
Uh, and really, people should have these in their home. I have, I have naloxone in my home. We don't have any opioids in our home, but we have a thing in naloxone because you never know when you might encounter someone who needs help. It's a Milwaukee County thing for now, Dr. Weston. Is there, in your opinion, an appetite, or should there be an appetite, to extend this to neighboring counties and throughout the state? Look, opioid use disorder, uh, opioid overdoses, this is not a, a Milwaukee County problem. This happens in every county in the state of Wisconsin. This happens in every state in our country. Uh, and so certainly this, should, this is the sort of initiative that should be done everywhere. Harm reduction is critical to save lives from opioid overdoses. What do you say to people who say, you know what, I might have an addict, I might be an addict, and so I'm going to empty out the machine of all the Narcan, I'm going to take it to my house so that, you know, I can do what I want to do, which is continue to get high, and then if I miscalculate, you know, I'll be okay, because somebody will save my life. Is there a downside to this? Yes, two thoughts on that. So one is, we have thought about that, what if somebody comes and empties out the machine? Now, it would take a while, you'd have to push the buttons and sit there for quite some time, but hey, if you're going to empty out this machine and distribute it to folks or use it yourself and save a life, go ahead and empty out the machine if, if that's what you feel you need to do. Now, on the flip side, your question about, uh, you know, if, if we're saving somebody's life, um, you know, in that way, is, is this worth it? I think there's, there's a lot of stigma around opioid use disorder. Uh, anybody out there who's listening to this has some sort of stigma over opioid use disorder. But the fact of the matter is, no matter where you work, no matter what sort of business you're in, no matter what kind of restaurants you might be at, there's folks around you who have opioid use disorder. And there's most certainly folks around you who have friends, family, loved ones, neighbors who are at risk for opioid overdose. And so having these supplies easily accessible and available is critical. Quick question, where does the funding for the machines come from? Yeah, so the fundings are uh, from a number of different sources. One of the largest sources is the opioid settlement dollars uh, that have come through to Milwaukee County. Dr. Ben Weston is Milwaukee County's Chief Health Policy Advisor. He's an Associate Professor at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Always good to have you with us. Thank you so much, Dr. Weston. Thank you. Take care. 356 at WTMJ. A couple of words here for Town Bank. Town Bank, I just trust the people at Town Bank. I've been going to Town Bank for a very long time. They've got the best banking solutions, the best customer service. First, the banking solutions. I have total access checking. That gives me access to free ATMs across the country. I've got a daughter in New York and one in Texas. I absolutely love it when I go to visit them. Free ATMs. Junior Savers Club accounts, little tiny fun events for the kids as they begin to learn about money. That's the best banking solutions. Customer service, those daughters far away, they're still with Town Bank because it's the best customer service and almost everything we do now is online through the app. You don't need to go into the building if you don't want to. And they have the best online customer service. They're going to take care of you. Stop banking the same way, expecting different results. Start earning more. Start learning more. Start doing better for yourself and your money with Town Bank. Town Bank is part of the win trust family of community banks bank differently with town bank it's wisconsin's bank it's my bank i know i'm biased but it is the best bank it's town bank member fdic foreigner coming back to wisconsin playing one last time in the milwaukee area it's the Wisconsin State Fair. They say it's their final tour. Ever. Final, final tour, right? Yeah, Isn't before the final, do? final, final tour. <laughs> right. Isn't this what happens? With Kiss. Be another Didn't one? Kiss do the final right. again tour? <laughs> like six of them, right? Yeah. So Foreigner is going to say goodbye to Wisconsin at the Wisconsin State Fair, the main stage on August 10th. So I saw Foreigner in March of 2020. We are just starting to hear about this weird thing called COVID. I don't know. I think it has something to do with China, and it's making people sick, but it's probably not going to get here. And the president was saying it's no big deal. And that night, Michelle and I went to the Riverside Theater to see Foreigner, which was so cool. What is a Riverside seat? Yeah, 2,500, maybe, yeah. something like that. It was jam-packed. We were in there. Foreigner was up on stage with Mick Jones and then a lot of other guys that are newer to the band. And they brought down the house. I mean, that place was shaken. It was cool. And they launched into Cold as Ice. It was so cool. And then we left, and everybody kind of thought, okay, where are we going with the world? And everybody was kind of on cloud nine. In the next couple of days, everything got canceled. We started to realize that COVID was a real deal, and things got shut down. And Foreigner was the last show in Milwaukee huh. before before everything shut down. 
So that was in 2020, and now four years later, they're saying, man, this is it. That, that is right in your wheelhouse, right? I mean, That's I think right about all the wheelhouse. concerts that you end up going to, yeah. Summerfest, State Fair, whatever it is. Totally, because this is like 80s, early 80s yeah. rock. And they have so many songs, Greg. No, I get it. It's amazing. Yeah. Like they, they do so many songs that when you're at the concert, you know all the songs because they're all really popular. You know, I want to know what love is, jukebox hero, urgent, cold as ice, double vision. But as they play every song, you're like, oh my gosh, there's that one. Oh my gosh, there's that one. Oh my and there's like twenty songs that were near the top of the charts, and so they really brought it down. So State Fair, by the way, is really trying to get in the game right now with letting people know what's going on out at State Fair. They've announced three main stage concerts since Friday. So the Happy Together Tour led by the Turtles. Aren't the Turtles or those other bands from the 60s at State Fair every year? I, I always kind of lump together Herman's Hermits, the yes. Turtles, and Monkeys for some reason. Yes. I, I don't know why, but I do. Remember we had the guy from Herman's Hermits, oh, Peter, yeah. Peter Noon. He was fantastic. Live in the studio last year. That was fun. But so they're going to be there. Uh, Kids Bop. You take your girls to this. I don't think they would love it. They wouldn't love Kids Bop? I, I don't know. They're not, I, they big, don't, they they're don't not mind big Kids it. Bop? No. No, it's not Taylor Swift, so I don't think they're okay. interested. Yeah, it's definitely right. not. It's just like we got a high bar to set. They probably do a Taylor Swift cover, though. They might. I mean, they that's might. not what they do. They do covers, I think, right? They do. They take popular songs and they kidify it. So they take the naughty words out. They make fun lyrics for kids. Yeah, there's just never any worry about the quality okay. of the content or the you know if it's going to be kid-friendly or not. So Kids Bop, The Turtles, and Foreigner. Think about that lineup. Three nights in a row at State Fair. There you Fair. go, man. Right? Kids Bop, The Turtles, and Foreigner. There you go. Just spend some time in the Expo Center, get yourself a mop, check out Foreigner, have a nice lemonade when you're done. Telescoping flagpole. Will they let you take that into the main stage area if you buy that in the Expo Center, one uh, of those big telescoping flagpoles? I don't think so, John. Probably not. Uh, by the way, Foreigner's opener is Melissa Etheridge. She's headliner-worthy on her own, isn't she? Sure, yeah. Borderline for sure, Melissa Etheridge. I think Borderline was Madonna, but that's a different story. That's a very good song, by the way. Yeah, Holiday, though. That's the best Madonna song. Might have been off that same album. It could have been. Holiday, Borderline, Material Girl. So from that same Madonna era. You're on a roll. Yeah, I, I, Madonna. That was another one right <laughs> in my wheelhouse. Before she got really weird. <laughs> what, yeah, what, Where she, remember, she was really cute. She was young. She was, now she, she was just weird. Yeah, she was in, what, Desperately Seeking Susan, and then yes. everything fell apart after that? Yeah, she was in Major League. Remember uh, that? No, League of Their Own. I mean, League of Their Own. Yeah. Bob, <laughs> Major Bob, League's a different movie. Yeah, she Bob wasn't in was that. in that one. Yeah, very yeah. different. Uh, and now she was just recently in, was it Toronto? And the audience booed her because she got on stage and she said, it's great to be in Boston. Yeah. Uh, Performer's worst about, nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Worst nightmare. Yeah, but then she owned it. She apologized. She said, I'm tired. I'm sorry. I love Vancouver. I mean, <laughs> not a good moment for Madonna. So, Foreigner, come to the Wisconsin State Fair. By the way, we broadcast from the Wisconsin State Fair the whole run of the fair. So we'll be out there. Magic, do you think we can get hits to Foreigner? Uh, I think we need to book them as a guest. That'd be great. We arrange that maybe the day of, like during the afternoon before sound check and all that. Mick Jones in the studio. And then end up backstage. That'd that, be, that's what that'd we be need so to do. Good. We, that'd be so good. We'll get good. that worked out. Uh, you know, our next guest, Dr. John Raymond, likes Foreigner. I, I feel like that's a little light for him. People don't know this, but Dr. Raymond is uh, an enjoyer of metal music. I don't know why that makes me smile every time I hear that. I am not making this up. It's true. I know. It is 443 at WTMJ. Dr. Raymond with us live in the studio up next. Dr. John Raymond is the president and CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin. He's with us live in the studio. Dr. Raymond, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, John. We're going to talk about a troubling mental health issue, but an important issue. It's self-harm. If you saw the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel over the weekend, they had a very powerful article. And in the article, they said that young people in Wisconsin have been self-harming at escalating rates since the start of last school year. That's according to data from the National Syndromic Surveillance Program. It's part of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Let's start with, Dr. Raymond, what is self-harm? Yeah, thanks. It, it really is a problem. So self-harm is also called self-directed violence or self-injury, and it's defined as anything a person does intentionally that can cause injury to themselves up to and including death. So what are some of the behaviors that are included in this, Dr. Raymond? Yeah, thanks, Greg. So self-harm behaviors can include cutting, carving, stabbing, burning, poisoning, headbanging, self-biting, self-scratching, and pinching to the point of bleeding, ripping the skin, 
pulling hair, and rubbing objects like glass shards into the skin. And even interfering with wound healing can count as self-harm. So I guess a two-part question, Dr. Raymond. Are the incidents of self-harm rising, and who's most likely to have self-harm behavior? The incidents do seem to be rising. Um, The Wisconsin Self-Injury Data Dashboard shows increasing numbers of young people who engage in self-harm behaviors, and those mirror the general rise in other mental health conditions that we've talked about before. Early indicators are that self-harm increases at the beginning of the school year and in January, coinciding with the return to school. And in Wisconsin, girls are four times more likely to engage in self-harm than boys. And to give you some idea of the magnitude of the problem, there were over 2,000 hospitalizations in Wisconsin for self-harm among girls and women in 2022. Is there any idea what leads to that discrepancy, Dr. Amon? Four times more likely, that's a pretty staggering number. It is a staggering number, and I don't think we really understand why that there's a preponderance in women and young girls. We talk a lot about school-age kids, which we've been focused on. Do adults also engage in self-harming behavior? Is it a lot more prevalent in our younger population? Why do we focus on school-age? Right. Well, self-harm can manifest at any age, but it is particularly prevalent in young people, so that's why we focus on school-age kids. And if you think about it, Um, They're maturing both in their body and psychologically. A lot of pressures, peer pressures in school, and those may be part of the underlying causes of the self-harm behaviors. Obviously, the most extreme of examples would result in in suicide, but is there worry and concern that some of the other things you talked about, the biting, the scratching, the pinching, is just sort of a precursor? Yeah, it's a good question. Self-harm is a risk factor for suicide, But it's different. Self-harm in many ways is um, a cry for help, whereas uh, people are a coping mechanism, whereas people that commit suicide are trying to escape pain or anguish. Um, And obviously those can overlap. Um, But yes, um, self-harm is a risk factor for suicide. I want to ask you, because parents are probably wondering this, what are some of the potential self-harm signs that parents should be aware of? Yeah, thank you for that question, John. Um, If you notice behavioral changes in your child, emotional withdrawal, secrecy, spending less time with family and friends, or unexplained um, lesions, cuts, burns, bruises, or if they're keeping their arms and legs covered when it doesn't make a lot of sense, finding sharp objects that could be used for self-harm, those are clear warning signs that your child might be engaging in self-harm. Yeah, critical to take action, right? I mean, never too early to step in if you've got a question if you're a mom or dad. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, the advice to parents is don't ignore your concerns. It's not likely to resolve unless there's some intervention. Um, You can certainly consult with a professional. Call 988, which is a suicide and crisis hotline, or text HOME to 741741. But the most important thing about your child is to listen, to be nonjudgmental, repeat back what you're hearing to make sure that they know that you heard and understand them, and don't try to minimize or solve the problems. That would be when you would seek professional help. Dr. John Raymond is with us in the studio. And Dr. Raymond, uh, we mentioned suicide earlier, obviously a devastating form of self-harm. And suicide rates have increased at least 40% since 1999. That's a big number. What do we know about people who are most at risk for suicide? Um, yeah, that that um, is a real problem. And one of the things that's a bit of a surprise is that the increase in suicides has been most severe in rural America. Um, and there are many potential causes for the disparity, like lack of access to mental health resources, individual issues such as higher rates of depression, unemployment, poverty, non-medical causes such as financial stress. But the fact is we really don't know all of the underlying causes, but it is alarming that there's an increase in suicide rates in in uh, rural Wisconsin and the country. We also hear increased suicide risk with veterans oftentimes. I know that's a population we've discussed on this show. Some of those things you just hit on, stress, financial, coming back and trying to assimilate into society, veterans can be particularly vulnerable also. Yeah, thank you so much for highlighting the issue with, with veterans. Um, there are three broad risk factors for suicide. Biological, such as chronic illness, and many veterans are suffering from chronic illnesses. Psychological issues, such as depression, PTSD, bullying, hopelessness, isolation, shame, gossip, 
scandal, abandonment, and, and psychological trauma. But the third category is social determinants of health. The environmental factors such as financial health, the strength and quality of relationships, isolation, the housing situation, and work experiences that all may predispose veterans to an increased risk of suicide. It's so important to check on those who live alone, too, right? Because you never know what's happening behind closed doors. Loneliness can lead to what you're talking about, Dr. Raymond. In some instances, you have a child at home and you're in that same four walls and, and you can sort of check in, do a daily check and, and a kind of a wellness check. But sometimes that, that person isn't living in your home, but you know they're alone. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Greg. And sometimes the signs of an impending suicide are very subtle. Um, but, you know, for a, a child, if a loved one speaks frequently of death or mentions suicide, you really need to take it seriously, especially if they have a plan or the means to carry out a suicide. Um, men and boys are more likely to use guns. Uh, women and uh, girls are more likely to, to look for pills or other ways to, to kill themselves. And such statements of risk can be direct or indirect. And if you see prolonged pervasive sadness, that's another warning sign. And then looking for changes in behavior. And be especially mindful, again, if somebody seems to have a plan or a means to commit suicide. How about resources? Where should people go if they want resources or help for themselves or a loved one? Obviously, if you are connected to a healthcare system or your providers, talk to your doctor. Um, but if you need urgent help, call 988 which is a suicide and crisis hotline, um, you can obtain help there or text HOME to 741-741 to get help. 988, that is the number. Dr. John Raymond is the president and CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin. What an important topic. Thank you, Dr. Raymond. Thanks, John and Greg. Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. So the whole show is set today. We've got lots of stuff lined up. At about 2.15, the news breaks that Adrian Griffin has been fired. About a half an hour after that, the Bucks confirm that he's been fired. Bucks radio analyst Justin Garcia is with us. Good afternoon, Justin. How's it going, guys? Good. So the Bucks are 30-13, and second-best record in the NBA, coming off a two-game win streak. The team comes back last night after winning in Detroit, although it wasn't really pretty. And the coach wakes up to find out that he's been canned. Were you surprised or not surprised? Um, I mean, there was definitely chatter that was starting to pick up. So I don't know if I would say I was shocked, but I was still very surprised at the timing of this. Well, it's an in-season move. We haven't really seen one like this since David Blatt was fired in Cleveland. That ultimately led to a title. But it, did it seem to you, Justin, like maybe there was some sort of disconnect between the players, what they wanted to do, and what Coach Griffin was hoping to do during his short time here? Well, I mean, I think you go back to the first, what, two weeks of the season when the players had to urge him, like, we need, we need Brooke Lopez to play closer to the basket. And that did yield some success, but I think as the season went on, we moved further and further away from that to more questions around the perimeter. And is this pressure defense really working? Um, I think the big thing for Griff, too, is obviously you did not win with the style points that you would have hoped to in Detroit for both of those games. The schedule is going to be very, very difficult for the Bucks from here on out. And I think you were kind of left facing the reality of, look, we have not seen the steady progress that we hoped for, and we know things are going to get more difficult. If we're going to do something, I think now is the time when you look at the way that the schedule was laid out for the Bucks and the fact that if they were going to do something, I always believed it would be before the All-Star break, just if for no other reason than to give you some more time to work through a new coach. So there was a reported on incident at the play at the in season tournament with Bobby Portis and Griffin. Multiple reports saying they had words. It wasn't a, a pretty situation. My question is, Giannis liked Griffin at least initially. He was in favor of the hire. What was the relationship like in general between Griffin and the players? Well, I do know all the players liked him, and um, that incident that was reported about at the the in season tournament. I think a lot of it. Uh, was kind of made out to be more than it actually was. The, the players liked him, and I think that was the biggest appeal of Adrian Griffin. Number one, the track record that he brought, albeit as an assistant, 
but the experience that he had under good coaches. You know, you think about Tom Thibodeau, who he learned under. Scott Skiles was another one here in Milwaukee, and certainly Nick Nurse of late. So he had that experience under multiple systems, under very good, successful coaches. But, you know, when the Bucks made the decision to move on from, from uh, Bud, we heard all throughout the season last year, not only after that move was made, but while Bud was still here, the players missed having Darvin Ham, and they missed having that guy they can relate to as a former player that they had more in common with. And I do think that was a big part of what they were searching for in this coaching hire. And Adrian Griffin checked all of those boxes, more so than a guy like a Nick Nurse or a Kenny Atkinson. He was that guy. So I don't think that part of the relationship with the players ever changed. I still, you know, at last that I had heard too, they still held him in the highest light personally. I think it was just a matter of, it's a lot to ask for an inexperienced head coach to step into a team with these expectations and know, look, you don't have a whole lot of margin for error here, and your window is very short that we need you to hit the ground running now. Justin, The Athletic is reporting that Doc Rivers has emerged as a potential lead candidate to replace Griffin, and they're also reporting that Doc has been assisting Coach Griffin sort of behind the scenes starting in mid-December, right around the time that in-season tournament happened in Las Vegas. I did not know that personally, but the connection of Doc to the Milwaukee Bucks, is that a logical one for you? Well, given what's out there, yes. I think Doc Rivers would be the guy that would seem to make the most sense because, you know, you mentioned, Greg, the, the David Blatt firing. And the funny part is when the Cavs made that move, they were 30 and 11. The Bucks were 30 and 13. So it was basically at the same point. But that Cleveland staff had Tyron Lue on staff, and he was ready to take over. We've seen the success that he had not only in Cleveland winning the title, but very successful in Los Angeles with the Clippers as well. The Bucks, and, and this is no knock to any of the assistants they have, they don't have a Tyron Lue on staff. It was not only Adrian Griffin. The rest of the staff was inexperienced in terms of their time on the sidelines. That was the biggest drop-off was you think about Bud's staff. You had Charles Lee, who's the lead assistant now for the Boston Celtics. You had Taylor Jenkins, who's the head coach of the Grizzlies. Darvin Ham is coaching the Lakers. At one point, not in Milwaukee, but in Atlanta, he had Kenny Atkinson and um, Quinn Snyder on his staff. So you had some very, very well-respected, experienced staffs. And even here in Milwaukee, that's not the case this year. So I do think if this was a younger team, you could probably afford to say we're just going to continue through the season with an interim coach and we'll wait until the offseason to find the best guy that's out there. But this is a veteran team, and this is a team where the expectations are, we got to win now, and we're competing for a championship, and you don't have time to wait. So you really do have to find who's the best guy that's out there right now. And in terms of what you're looking for, Doc Rivers is probably the guy that checks most of those boxes. Bucks radio analyst Justin Garcia. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, anytime, guys. It is 514 at WTMJ. Wisconsin Center District CEO Marty Brooks. Have you seen what's happening with the convention center? It's incredible. Marty Brooks with us up next. What's happening at the convention center downtown is incredible. The expansion is extraordinary. Wisconsin Center District President and CEO Marty Brooks is with us on the Tri-County Contracting Hotline. Marty, how are you? John, I am terrific. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So this is really exciting. I'm walking by, driving by, seeing this thing just going up big time. What will this allow us to do that we currently can't do? It's going to allow us to have more events occurring simultaneously and overlapping so that the economic impact of bringing people into the city for conventions goes from four peak nights out of, say, 12 or 14 days to 8, 10, or all 14 days where we've got activities happening uh, and people in the hotels, restaurants, and and uh, bars. As you're figuring out just how massive to make this and, and, and all the reconstruction, how much do you build for the now and how much do you try and build for the future in, in, in what the city of Milwaukee could look like from a population and event standpoint? Well, p- part of... One of the things that was just a reality is we were limited to the footprint we could build on because we were limited to the real estate that we owned, which was the surface parking lot that had been the original home of the Mecca Convention Center. So we we couldn't grow too big because we already have um, 
a wall around us, if you will, even if it's just Kilbourne and, and 6th Street and uh, Valar Phillips. Uh, but when we looked to design the building and then build what we are, we, we looked at competitive markets, Louisville, Columbus, Des Moines, uh, Indianapolis, uh, and, and Nashville, and looked to see what they had that we were lacking. What areas were we missing uh, so that we could compete with them. And uh, the areas of most note was our convention center space, the exhibition space itself, was we were around uh, the 13th out of 15 peer markets that we were comparing ourselves to. We only had one ballroom where many markets have multiple ballrooms. We only had 28 meeting rooms, really wasn't enough. Uh, and we also knew that we needed to provide uh, parking for people coming to events, not just on our property, but downtown as well. So working with a number of different consultants over a very long period of time, John, the, the uh, feasibility studies began almost as soon as the existing building was completed back in 98. Um, so we took what we've learned, what we'd seen from other markets, and we came up with an expansion that added 112,000 square feet to our existing convention center expo space, taking us to just over 300,000 square feet, which is really the next threshold of being considered for larger events to be able to accommodate at least 300,000 square feet for exhibition space. Uh, we're adding 24 meeting rooms, 400 indoor parking spaces, and then the cherry on top is the roof on the fourth floor it's a rooftop ballroom with a spectacular wraparound terrace that's 30,000 square feet for the ballroom itself we can seat 2,000 people for a seated plated meal 3,500 for a general session plus the the rooftop terrace can accommodate between 12 and 1,500 people with just spectacular views looking east as well as a, a tremendous view right up to our dear friends up at Pfizer Forum in the Bucks, uh, you're able to have a great uh, bird's-eye view of the Deer District. That's incredible stuff. Wisconsin Center District President and CEO Marty Brooks is with us. You own and operate three venues on the west side of downtown, the Baird Convention Center, UW-Milwaukee Panther Arena, and Miller High Life Theater. Marty, new music venues are being announced, it feels like, every other week. The latest was Potawatomi. It's going to be 6,000 seats. Are we getting to the point where we're oversaturated and our existing venues are in danger? I don't think so. I think that one of the things that's just so remarkable about uh, our market is you've got such a, a diverse uh, group of people with a diverse uh, music interests. And, and with those diverse interests also comes with the venue size that can accommodate those specific artists. So having something that can accommodate 50 people to as large as Summerfest grounds or um, the Fiserv Forum, I don't think we're, we have to be concerned about that. Certainly time will tell as these buildings uh, develop and, and acts get booked into them, but the opportunity to create more venues, to bring more acts into our market uh, is really exciting. It's something that's attractive for uh, the people that live here, and it's also attractive to people that can drive here. John, we, you can, I believe it's 30% of the people who live in the United States are a six-hour drive from Milwaukee. So you know, there, it is common already for people who live in Chicago and even further to come to see either a concert or a sporting event in Milwaukee because the, the access to tickets is easier in that the population base isn't the same size as Chicago. So I I, I'm very bullish that I think these venues can all uh, attract artists as well as uh, music goers and event attendees. You know, Marty, how aggressive are you or will you be in bidding for some other major events? We talk about the RNC coming to town, and that's obviously significant. More hotel rooms than ever in Milwaukee. The expanded convention center space could certainly lead to some other great things. What's in your thoughts for what this could hold and host? Well, the, the interesting thing about the convention center is most of the business that we have at the, we host at the Baird Center is not public facing. Uh, it's, they're meetings and conventions that are either 
regional corporate or local corporate meetings or national meetings where people are coming from out of town. Uh, we have a very close working relationship with uh, Peggy William Smith and the Visit Milwaukee team in them in working hand in glove with them, going after national events, large regional events that we can bring to the market that, again, will bring people to hotels, restaurants, bars, our airport, uh, retail establishments. Uh, it, it's the driving force behind the expansion was not bigger conventions. It certainly enables us to go after larger conventions. But as I said before, it's about getting more people into Milwaukee, into the convention, so over, into the convention center over longer periods of time. So, you know, by example, if the convention center is booked for 14 days, that includes a week for loading in, two days for loading out. So the real economic impact is really only four or five days. By adding a second ballroom, doubling our meeting room space, adding the additional Hall E, which will be the largest hall that we have at 112,000 square feet, will enable us to have a convention occurring of two to 3,000 people, while the convention that was just in is loading out in the other half of the building. And that's the real opportunity for us. It's, it's not necessarily going after the marquee events that people may think of. It's anybody that's looking for a space to host an event with a, with a great local flair you know, once people come to Milwaukee, they fall in love with this place. You're right. It is an exciting time. Wisconsin Center District President and CEO Marty Brooks. Always good to catch up. Thank you so much, Marty. John, my pleasure. And you, you owe me a visit to see my Legos. Yeah, I'm going to call. Hey, I got that on my list, Marty. What are you working on right now? What are you building right now? I'm just starting the Avenger Tower. Oh. Where uh, Stark's built, uh, live, whatever. That's cool. But come over. Come over. I'd love to see you. All right, Marty. Take care. Good to catch up. It is 526 at WTMJ. Time for the WTMJ Annex Wealth Management Market Update. Mixed bag today. The Dow was off 96 points. The S&P was up 14. The NASDAQ was up 66 points on the day. Annex Wealth Management, know the difference. Hey, have you not had your company holiday party yet? It's not too late. Do it later this month. Do it in February and get half your employees' dinners for free. It's the Fox and Hounds Supper Club. Do your holiday party. Take care of your employees. We know how crazy December can be, and we know how valuable your loyal and productive employees are. So show your appreciation with a world-class dinner at the Fox and Hounds. When you buy one dinner, you get one free. It doesn't matter how many dinners, even for a business outing. You have 100 employees, you only pay for 50 dinners. Think about the money you'll save and the great time you'll have at one of my favorite places, the Fox and Hounds. The seven wood-burning fireplaces will keep your employees warm and cozy. Great food, desserts, or buy one, get one free as well. I love that dessert tray, that peanut butter chocolate pie. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. The Fox and Hounds, just off Highway 167, two miles east of the famous Holy Hill Shrine. It is a gem. Book your company holiday party at the Fox and Hounds. Half your employee dinners are free. Reserve today, foxandhoundsrestaurant.com. Much more on the Adrian Griffin firing coming up after the news at the bottom of the hour. We'll take your phone calls and work in some texts. But first, the big national story today is that voters are at the polls in New Hampshire. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. His awesome podcast, this is great work, his Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. You should check that out. His book is The Big Truth. Major, good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. How are you? I'm good. Is this must, I'm not going to say when, is this must have a good showing for Haley tonight? So her... Her campaign has already said she's off to South Carolina, that they've raised enough money for a $4 million ad buy in South Carolina, which is the kind of things you have to say if you are bracing for a somewhat distant second-place finish here in New Hampshire. So they are positioned to go to South Carolina. That primary will be later in February. So there's about a four-and-a-half, five-week gap between here and there. And that's going to be a slog for Nikki Haley. Uh, Everyone here in New Hampshire is trying to calibrate what her expectations are and what a credible second-place finish here would be. Because everyone is acknowledging, even her campaign internally, that second place is likely where she's going to end up. So is it single digits? Is it outside? Is it low double digits? The Trump campaign is really trying to run up the score, very much trying to run up the score. Trump has been at polling places today. He's at surrogates all over the state. They are making a big push to win by 12, maybe 16. If they attain, from their perspective, a margin that large, it will be very, very hard 
for Haley to continue to compete in the five weeks between now and South Carolina and, more importantly, on through Super Tuesday. Major, what's the value in staying in the race? What's the value in finishing a distant second for Nikki Haley? A couple of things. Uh, One is she has said from the very beginning her goal was to make this a race between her and former President Trump. And she doesn't want to quit the race after just one contest here in New Hampshire, where it was clearly, in the closing days, a two-person race. She wants to test that out. And that's not unreasonable. The other reason for her to stay in the race is the uncertainty that, that circulates around former President Trump's legal status. I mean, there are, what, one thing people, I think, are not absorbing is political success does not immunize you from criminal prosecution or civil liability. It just doesn't. Former President Trump would like us to think it does, or it ought to mean something, but in the court of law, it doesn't. Those things are still hanging out there. So if Nikki Haley says, I'm going to stay in this race, not only because I want to go toe-to-toe with Trump again and again and again and see how it plays out, but also, we don't know what's going to happen with him in three or four months and these other legal issues, so I better stay around. So there are two strategic reasons for her to do it. The one problem in that is going to be if you keep losing and you keep losing by a lot will you have the money to keep going and that's an unknown but it's a question she's got to come up with an answer to major garrett is with us on wtmj so ron DeSantis gets the best of nikki haley in iowa and then many are surprised by the timing he drops out before new hampshire he was polling really bad where did those voters go where are the DeSantis voters uh they according to internal polling that i've seen break about 60-40 for Trump. And probably of those 60-40, the ones that were DeSantis then now going to Trump are probably going to show up because they like that either original MAGA agenda or the new newer MAGA agenda as personified by Ron DeSantis. So they're likely to show up. The ones that were heading toward Haley, they may or may not. One of the problems for Nikki Haley here in New Hampshire is the discernible lack of excitement. Hers coalition... John and Greg is entirely anti-Trump. It's very little pro-Nikki Haley. She hasn't lit a fire, a personal one, about her candidacy, her vision. Many of her ads and much of her stump speeches about generational this and change that and wouldn't it be better if and are you displeased with your choices? Not like here's who I am, here's where I've been in my life, here's what I'm going to do for you, and here's why I'm running for you. She still hasn't personalized this race, and I think it's one of the things that is holding her back. Major, is it out of the question to think Nikki Haley could end up being Donald Trump's running mate? Or is there any clarity on which direction Trump might go if indeed he does go on and win, which it appears he will? Uh, The answer to the first question is yes, it's possible. He talks about her with some frequency in that context. He talks about a lot of people in that context, I should add. Matter of fact, when he was announcing to his supporters here over the weekend that DeSantis had dropped out and endorsed him, Trump was very magnanimous, very generous at the podium. I'm told privately he was even more enthusiastic about DeSantis instead of talking about him and someone maybe they should consider as a running mate because he was, gener- he was a newer generation of MAGA, but he was definitely on board. He'd be a great attack dog. He wouldn't take any uh, static from the media. He'd be someone he could might. So he was talking in that kind of way. Now, that m- might just be a momentary thought bubble of the former presidents. He has many of them. Or it could be something he might give serious consideration to. But if Haley sticks in and shows her moxie and shows that she can, in state after state, build either a pro-Nikki Haley or an anti-Trump coalition, and Trump sees that and says, you know what, I may need those voters. I may need those lightly attached Republicans or independents, and Haley can find them for me. He might give her serious consideration. I know he's already talked about her in somewhat serious ways. Major, so Ramaswamy gets out and endorses Trump, no surprise. DeSantis gets out and endorses Trump. Chris Christie is heard on an open microphone appearing to say that Nikki Haley's going to get her clock cleaned. How damaging is all that to Nikki Haley as she moves forward? Well, the, one, the other thing that Nikki Haley has to deal with is the consolidation around Trump. And she's, in the last day or two here, tried to frame that as, well, I'm not establishment. I'm anti-establishment. The establishment is getting all, all the politicians are getting around Trump. Look, it's about the, all that she can do. I mean, it's, she, trust me, she would love to have some of the endorsements. She would have loved to have the endorsement, for example, of Marco Rubio, whom she famously endorsed in the South Carolina primary in 2016. Was that favor returned? No. Right before the Iowa caucuses, Rubio endorsed Trump. She would like to have more 
support. She certainly could have used it here in New Hampshire to have surrogates go to places where she can't get to. You can only do five or six events a day. She would have loved to have a battery of endorsed surrogates going around the state with the Nikki Haley message. She doesn't have that. She's hamstrung because of that. So the best thing you can make out of that is to say, well, they're all with the establishment. They're all with the political class. I've never been with the establishment. We'll have to see if that catches on. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. The agent of betrayal, Double Life of Robert Hansen podcast is available anywhere you pick up your podcast. The Takeout podcast, by the way, which is always entertaining, is heard here on WTMJ. Major, thank you so much. We always appreciate it. Thank you, John. Thank you, Greg. All right, always good to have Major with us. Wanted to recap the top story for you, and that is that the Bucks are making a coaching change. Adrian Griffin is out. Bucks are 30-13, and 13, second best record in the league, two-game winning streak, and the coach is out. Joe Prunty, an assistant, has been named the interim coach, and the search is on now for who the permanent replacement will be. I heard rumblings like you did and what we do, you hear all the time that, man, this isn't really going great. They don't play great defense. There could be a change. But today, this caught me by surprise. Yeah, this is John Horace very clearly recognizing that the window of opportunity is open so long as Giannis is on the roster. And then you start to hear Giannis talk about defensive intensity and putting their best foot forward. It's very clear that this team looked at times lost and disinterested on defense, which is just one component. And then there's finger pointing, and then there's players who we've heard rumblings not really seeing eye-to-eye with Coach Griffin and his scheme. Not the person, but more so just how the team is performing. You see that you've got a championship window that's open. You see it starting to slip away. You make a change. That's what's happened here. And it's very possible Doc Rivers could be named the head coach, the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, according to The Athletic, he has done some work with the Bucks since the in-season tournament in December. Uh, as sort of a voice of reason and a sounding board for Coach Griffin. After Terry Stott's departure prior to the season, there was no real guy with head coaching experience on his staff. So Doc Rivers was brought in. I did not know that, but that's part of the reason Mm -hmm. why Doc Rivers is being linked very strongly to this opening. For more on this big story, stay tuned to WTMJ. Check out WTMJ.com or stay up to speed on the mobile app. It is 5.55 at WTMJ. Hey, why not make the decision right now to get that lasting relief from that awful joint pain that you've been feeling? Why not do it in 2024? Don't go another year compromising because of that pain in your knees or your shoulder. Give a call to QC Kinetics. It's QC Kinetics, the nation's leader in regenerative non-surgical pain relief. So your body has what it needs to restore and repair that damaged tissue. And QC Kinetics can make it all happen with no drugs and no surgery and no downtime. This is the future of pain treatments. It's here. Hundreds of board-certified QC Kinetics patients and providers have treated tens of thousands of satisfied patients all over the country. Back pain, hip pain, really any pain associated with arthritis or an injury. And it's not a Band-Aid. It's a revolutionary treatment that'll get you back and moving again. And it's non-surgical. If this is the year to decide to fight back against that pain, and why wouldn't it be, take the first step now. Give a call to QC Kinetics for a free consultation. It's 414-285-3474. That's 414-285-3474 for QC Kinetics. 414-285-3474.